or I never left Armagh until I was nearly 19. Didn't go anywhere. Um, I loved the town, loved Armagh, and I thought I'd never leave. Grew up there till I was 21. And like um, a lot of young men around that time, they went to London for, for work. Went to, uh, to work in the building trade, earn a few pounds, just have a laugh. They were coming down the road, you had to get off the road out of their way because they'd just drive over the top of you. No lie. And then um, no lights, no uh, no real um, rules of the road either. I, cows and everything rounding around in the middle of it and people and that. And they just step out in front of you and you have to avoid them. It's your fault if you hit them, even though they jumped out in front of you. But I had a share in it. Me and um, Tom McGurr bought it between us so he owned half of it and i owned half of it and it was to get us to blackwater disco the under 18 disco hello this is connor neeson and i am this week's arma i podcast host you've just heard the voice of niall mccart he's based in london with the retrospective scooter garage and he has been developing electronic conversion kits for old Vespas and Lambrettas. I caught up with him in the last week to chat about growing up in Armagh, about his first scooter, uh, which he part owned and did make it to Blackwater Town. And I'm also speaking to him about the craziest situations he's found himself in whilst riding a scooter. Spoilers, there's cows involved. And we're also speaking about the move to London, the conversion kits, and how they've taken off in the first few years after he set up business. Well, hello, Niall. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Connor. So you're actually joining us, although we haven't been able to get any footage because of technical issues, but you're, you're joining us from your scooter shop in London. Uh, yes, I'm in um, East London, Walthamstow, where the shop is these days. But obviously you grew up quite a distance away from London, uh, back here in Armagh. Uh, yes, I, I was in Armagh from, grew up there till I was 21. And like um, a lot of young men around that time, they went to London for, for work. Went to, uh, to work in the building trade, earn a few pounds, just have a laugh. And, uh, you know, that was back in the late 80s. And... Uh, Went with a couple of boys from Armagh, and uh, you know what it was like. We're just a uh, young man out for um, a, a good time, just you know, having a drink and a laugh yeah. and spending our hard-earned money. And the, so, what what are your kind of your earliest memories of growing up in Armagh? Then, what kind of area were you where you grew up in? Oh, I'm uh, from Druids Villas, and uh, I went to uh, St Bridget's secondary school just up behind me very good memories of it and St Malachy's primary school where my dad went and that um, my mom's from just out the road from Kelleton and uh, I, I I never left London or I never left Armagh until I was nearly 19 didn't go anywhere um, I loved the town loved Armagh and I thought I'd never leave and um you know, when I did leave to go to London, eventually I really missed it, really missed the 
you know, the family and the friends and the, the whole thing that Armagh is growing up in it, you know, going to the drum cell and um, going around the town, going out fishing and hunting and anything the boys and that uh, back home we'd all be doing. Uh, missed all that when I went to London, but sure, I thought I'd be home in no time, you know, and and I'd only spend a year or two or three and then I'd be back in Armagh. Used to go home every other week, every other month or a few weeks for for uh, a wee refreshing, you know, to go home and see my ma and family and that. But uh, get the washing done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, and obviously must have been a quite a cultural change or you know a shock for yourself moving from Armagh to London, although both cities. Uh, slightly different. Oh well, look back then at the time, it, it it was, you know, the troubles were still, you know, going on, and uh, there was an Irish boys in London just had a, a bit of a hard time with you know snide remarks, you know, and a lot of people didn't trust you and all them jokes about bombs and all this here. But uh, we were there, we stuck together, and uh, you know worked on the building sites together. And uh, it was all right, but um, you know, you, that you felt more at home when you, you know, with your own in London because of that uh, isolation, if you like. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's that thing of we tend to travel well, at least, uh, and settle in in most places. People from this part of the world. Oh yeah, well, uh, the Irish are all over in any corner of the world. You'll find an Irish bar, and an Irish man set that bar up. So you know, uh, we are well travelled. Um, yeah. That's so the other. He said, "So, no, go ahead." No, that's the other reason I left too to travel because one of my biggest passions in life was to travel and travel and see the world. And and London is the great springboard to the world. You know, you you know you can hop into Europe, but you can hop anywhere on a plane out of London to. You know, New Zealand or India or America. You know, it's um, it was all the things I did eventually get to do, and that's what uh, yeah. opportunities that give me. But uh, yeah, number one passion for me was was traveling thereafter. Yeah, uh, what kind of places did you get to then in your in your youth? Well, um, I got I I used to work as a, a motorcycle courier in London. Eventually, after the building trade bored me a bit too much. And I met up with a lot of um, uh, New Zealand fellas from New Zealand, Kiwis they're called. And they, uh, them boys were great. They had no fear. They'd go anywhere. And uh, they were from farms in New Zealand. And they came to London to work hard for six months and then go traveling around Europe for six months. And then boys would head off around Europe and uh, just go to see whatever they could see before they'd have to return home to New Zealand and, and probably take up the farm that their father was going to leave them and, and they'd probably never leave that farm ever again. But when they were in their early 20s, they really enjoyed life and they, they inspired me to do what they were doing and, and, and head off to, to Africa or India or um, any corner of the world where you just wanted to see what it was like over in that part of the world and what, what goes on there. So... Um, I presume 
presumably you brought the scooters with you along to those places or, or rented up a scooter when you were there. What's kind of the craziest area that you've rode a scooter? Well, I, I once went to India and I flew into Delhi and um, I went out to uh, a scooter shop and bought a scooter. And then uh, this is the early 90s, about 92. And I, uh, I basically bought a scooter in India and started driving it around India. Went down south, went up north to Varanasi, went across the border into Nepal, up to Kathmandu, and drove it around India for uh, about three or four months, just traveling around India on this scooter. Uh, they have loads of scooters in India, by the way. There's covered in scooters. Vespa's like a Vespa copy, called a Bajaj, yeah. but it's a Vespa. But uh, that was one such venture out on it. And what were the roads? Was it more similar to Armagh or the back end, back end roads, country roads than uh, it, uh, no, it was London? Bit, it was a bit rough. <laughs> it was a very rough, very rough, dangerous roads. There was a lot of uh, lorry drivers on those roads that um, if they were coming down the road, you had to get off the road out of their way because they'd just drive over the top of you. No lie. And then um, no lights, no, uh, no real... Um, rules of the road either cows and everything wandering around in the middle of it and people and that and they just step out in front of you and you have to avoid them it's your fault if you hit them even though they jumped out in front of you but uh, it's a mad place a mad place yeah so as you said you, you know you did you did the building trade for a few years and then moved on to this courier but obviously I know, but you probably want to explain a wee bit more that your sort of your passion for scooters went, you know, started well before you arrived in London. Oh well, yeah. Initially, when I was a young mod uh, in the mod culture, growing up in Armagh, um, that that was the connection to the scooters to begin with. So at the time, the the music culture, you know, mods and rockers and punks and skinheads and all that. You're a young man. You get into that sort of music scene uh, with the Jam or the Who and all them, and you you become a mod. You have to have a <laughs> you have to have a uh, a title. You have to be part of a cult or a gang, don't you? So you you're in this mod gang, and they all ride scooters. So you get a scooter, and you're running around town on the scooter. It's like a fashion accessory, you know. You do it with all the lights and mirrors, but then you know that. That becomes boring after a year or two and you you leave that behind and there's something about the scooter it it never left me you know you, you enjoyed riding it it got you around you could go places on it you go different places to to other uh people that that are into the scooters as well and there was a a scene that came after the mod scene called just the scooterist scene and there was scooterists who would just go to scooter rallies all over the coast uh, in Ireland and England, where you go across to a, a seaside town like like Blackpool or Markham or Great Yarmouth, and they'd all be there, all the scooterists, for the one weekend, the long weekend of uh, just partying and having a great time, just being into the same thing, these uh, Vespas and Lambretta scooters. And that was a whole underground scene back in the 80s and early 90s where uh, we had good laugh, me and a few boys from Armagh would, uh, would go to these. Yeah, I know. Obviously, your your first scooter mustn't have been much to look at, was it? I'm sure you saved up a lot of money for it. 
I, I didn't even own it outright. I, I had a share in it. Me and um, Tom McGuire bought it between us. So he owned half of it and I owned half of it. And it was to get us to Blackwater Disco, the under-18 disco. So uh, one weekend he'd drive out and I'd be the passenger. Uh, so I had a bottle of cider. It cost a pound, old English cider. And he was the drive designated driver. Then it was 50p into the disco. And I think it was 50p for the petrol there and back. So that was a great night out there on a Sunday night on this little scooter. I think uh, me and Tom still have a scooter between us because I think we swapped that scooter for another scooter. And then that meant yeah. we still had shares in a scooter. And I think when I left for London, I left that scooter with Tom. Um, <laughs> he might still have it in the backyard, but uh, the last I heard it was uh, it was shot by a double-barreled shotgun by Damien Hughes. One day, <laughs> he leaned over the fence and shot it, Tom said. So I think it got scrapped after that. Uh, I couldn't be moving too far, do I? No. No, and so, yes, so that, that's kind of where this idea for the scooters was. And, you know, you got into the courier business then because you say probably seen it as a, a chance of riding around on a scooter all day. Well, I, when, you're, for it. Yeah, when you're working on the building trade and uh, I was a painter and decorator, and you're a bit bored with that after a while. That just you know you grow to hate the scrubbing the paint off your hands and that. I seen these these boys in London driving around on uh, motorbikes and and they were uh, delivering packages. And uh, I thought to myself, them boys just driving around all day and getting paid for it. I thought that's a job for me, definitely. So I had my scooter. I was had this other scooter. I got it sent over from Armagh. So I. I jumped on it and I got this job. It was no problem getting it either as um, a, mo a, a dispatch rider or a motorcycle courier. But I was on my scooter, of course, and uh, I was just delivering parcels around London on this bike. And uh, it, weren't a, it wasn't a bad job. It was a heyday of it, really. Um, yeah. You join a company. That's where all the, the Kiwi boys were, the New Zealanders. And uh, they'd take on anybody as long as you could ride. And you soon learned your way around London, you know, you, you get to learn it and uh, delivering these parcels. Rain, hail or snow, you know, and at the same time, you have to look after your bike and keep it in good nick. Otherwise, you don't earn any money, you know. So I got to learn how to fix them and keep them on the road. And we would drive from eight in the morning to late at night delivering packages um, five days a week. And then Saturday, you're... You're fixing your bike all day to make sure it makes it through the, the following week's work, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, so, and then that follows on, really. You know, you kind of picked up these goals of looking after the, the scooter because that was your livelihood and making sure they were going. And although sometimes they obviously, more of the more elaborate, some of the more elaborate scooters are uh, tricky or difficult or would run into a lot of problems. Um, but that led you then to, to begin working with the garage then? Yeah, no, I mean, 10 years of being a, a motorcycle courier uh, on the scooters and uh, just getting fed up with sitting in the rain or riding around in the, in the cold uh, got to me for when I got to uh, the end of my 20s, I, I got a job in a scooter shop fixing them, um, which I could do by no... By then, I could do it no problem. So I was working in this scooter shop, 
um, I met this another New Zealander. I met this fella. He was um, he was going to Italy in a van, and he was buying these old Vespas and Lambrettas in Italy. This is the late nineties, and he would take them back to London and uh, just fix them up and sell them. And uh, that was that was great. I was helping him do that. We get in the van and go to Italy, bring them back, fix them up, and sell them from a shop. But that. After a year or two, you, you think, well, I could do this, you know, and I did mm-hmm. end up just going out on my own, buying my own van and going to Italy. And, and then for the next, um, you know, 10 years, 15 years, I was going to Italy, buying bikes, scooters, Vespas, Lambrettas, bringing them back, restoring them and fixing them. And then you're selling them to people and then they bring them back to you for service and repairs and whatever. And uh, so on and so forth. And that's that's just how the shop started and how I, I got going with it. Obviously, to begin with, I just had a start from my own garden shed and then progressed from there into a wee garage I rented and then from there to have a couple of fellas work for me and so on and so forth. Yeah. And obviously, that, that's the thing. You know, you're going over to Italy where, you know, there's so many Vespas, but Vespas and Lambrettas, Skitters, and they're probably not as common, but do you think there's still that allure of them, uh, that kind of continental feel that, that, that drives people to, to pick those over other modes of transport? Well, um, the Vespas uh, and the Lombrettas, they went to every corner of the planet, and they were the most popular two-wheel scooter transport, if you like, um, because of their Italian style and flair. I mean, that's what people like, you know, with... With Italians as being Italians, they always had a, an eye for aesthetics and the, the design of them appeals to, you know, the, I think everyone in the world over, even if they're not really into them, they, they will look at a Vespa or an old Lambretta and say, that's that's really nice. That's a beautiful you know, work of art, you know, and, uh, you know, who could say that, you know, some of those old 60s Vespas and Lambrettas aren't aren't nice, nice, nice looking ornaments. You know, they, they almost, some of them want to own them, but they... They dare not. They they're not bikers, or they're not they're not really into you know two wheel transport. But they still appreciate the design, and um, you know uh, that that still that still stands true with them today. You know it's it's always been that way for me. But you know a lot of other people in recent years, I would say in the last uh, 15, 20 years, I think they got really much more popular with with not just people. Um, you know, or into a scene like a cult or a scooter scene or a mod scene or anything like that. Just normal people that appreciate the design of these things would love one, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's that thing as well, you know, the practicality thing of keeping a car and keeping a car on the road. Perhaps the scooter's a wee bit easier to keep on the road um, and, you know, storing it and, and things like that and just the nature of traffic are and, you know, things like that probably pushing people more towards scooters. Well, uh, yeah, certainly in London and, and, and I'm sure around the country, it is, it's, it's, it, it does cost a lot more to, to run a car in London. So you can't park it anywhere. There's restrictions. You can't really go anywhere into town because of um, a congestion zone they have now. And, and, it, and now what's coming into force is a, is a ULES zone, ultra, uh, low emission zone it is which you know they're trying to keep the uh, the air um cleaner in london and uh, all that's against you in the car and um 
certainly in traffic, heavy traffic, a two-wheeler is, is easier to get through the traffic, um, easier to park, uh, free to park, free to, you know, go into town. It doesn't cause congestion. It doesn't cause, you know, well, it does cause pollution, but there's there's cleaner versions of them. And that, that, that that's the incentive for people now. And of recent times with the COVID thing, the, the people are now not really looking to get on public transport. They want to get off public transport, get on their own transport. And uh, with the cars being too dear for all the aforementioned reasons, they are jumping on scooters um, and bicycles, but, um, you know, scooters, if they, if they can, they will. Yeah, yeah. And so kind of moving on, I, you know, after a few years, you, you kind of had this thought of creating the the electric scooter or the the electric conversion kit for the scooters. But where did that idea really all, all start? What was it to do with the changes in London? Well, uh, going back a bit, I, I mean, I, um, I always try to improve uh, this, the, the classic scooters. I mean, they're old, so they need a bit of helping hand to make them more reliable and more user-friendly. So I, I used to take um, an old 60s Vespa and I might um, put a, a newer Vespa's engine in it. So, so take, take a new engine and put it in an old Vespa. So you got that nice old looking bike with a new engine in it. And we did that a lot to make them a lot more reliable, a lot more user friendly. I mean, they, they aren't just an ornament. They were being used for fellas to go to work on. And they would uh, jump on them and need them to go to work on every day. So they needed to be reliable. And that's what I did a lot. The shop did that for these old bikes, making them, improving them, upgrading them, suspension, electrics, uh, you know, everything was uh, improved as best we could. But then along comes electric, you know, and the world's, you, you know, you, can, you can't deny it, the world's turning electric. And I seen that, you know, back in 2017, where I, we were going that way, and I, I, you know, the idea isn't mine. It's, it's, you know, everybody back back then might have thought, well, you know, it'd be great if we could get these, you know, converted to electric, if only it was possible, you know, and still keep that nice looking old uh, bodywork, but but have it under the bo- the bonnet, uh, an electric propelled vehicle, so you know it can hang in there and, you know, move along with the times and and, and keep keep it going for another 50 years you know so you know quite a challenge that to do but I had the right man that um, was a good friend and a and uh, a scooterist that uh, helped me get along with that uh, Mr. John Chubb um, John was um, he's actually a rocket scientist believe it or not he really is a rocket scientist he um, he was in the Navy, but he was more of a scientist, and he worked in the department where they they did uh, electronically um, guided missiles, and um, he worked on the electronics on them. So he was a bit of a whiz with the electrics. And, of course, he's a scooterist. He came to me initially as a customer. Um, nice fella. Got on well with him. Became a friend. And down the years, you know, I've known him 20, 25 years now. We, we used to go to scooter rallies, like the aforementioned scooter rallies and that. And, uh, well, one day, I mean, we were at a, f- a friend's uh, stag do 
and uh, like you do, all best ideas, born in a pub. We uh, we talked about this. I said I'd love to do an electric conversion to our classic scooters, you know, and keep them going. And he goes, I think I'd like to give that a go. So I says, well, I'll help with the Let's do it. So uh, I forgot about it. Next next week he came into my shop and he says, are you serious about this? I said, John, you're the man to help me. And if you're doing it, I'll, I'm right there with you. So that was it. Um, John went away, scratched his head, come up with this and that angle to take on, take it on. Um, but what really uh, helped us is um, every year in Milan, there's a show for motorcycles, anything two wheels, and it's mm-hmm. it's a big big show. So I says, John, I think we need to go to this show and see if we can uh, get some ideas out of it. And we flew into Milan, went to the motorcycle show, uh, went over to the corner of the show where there was. Um, the Chinese were there, the products that they did, they were doing. So, by the way, the Chinese have been riding electric scooters for 15 years, long before any of us ever even thought of them. So these people know they have been doing it already and they have been riding them already and they, they were selling these you know, parts for electric scooters. So me and John went to them, boys, and we sat down and we talked batteries and we talked uh, all the different motors and we we, we John come away from it anyway, and he goes, "I know what to do. I know how to. I'm going to do it." So, um, got home. Um, we had the plan. We just need to cobble it together and see how it would work. So we got together. He done the electric side of things, and I done like the mechanical side of things, where we would bring it together in an old bike, and we chose a an old Vespa, 1976 Primavera 125. And we uh, worked on it over the winter of 2017. 2018, February the 5th, we had this little Primavera with this uh, electric engine in it and a bit of a rough, you know, cobbled together battery and plugged in and that from some bits and pieces that we had ordered off the internet from China. And from the boys that we met at the show, sent us over some stuff. And uh, there you go. We were driving it up and down the front of the shop at the end of the day, you know, and and that was it. That was the the concept, you know. We knew what we were going to do then at that that very time. We just had to, you know, refine it. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was really about making it that you could do this to most scooters or sell this kit that, anyone could kind of work with well yes so okay so you've got a a lot of different models you know the main the main the main scooters being vespa and lambretta so on vespa you've got three different models you've got a large frame vespa and a small frame vespa and then you've got the really old frame vespa the wide mount vespa so that's three kits right there three versions and then lambrettas again you've got lambretta from the 60s and then you got lambrettas from the 50s you know and there are two types of lambrettas so that's five kits so i had to make five variants on it but the same sort of concept and i had to make five swinging arms and five battery trays and five different you know ways of putting it in a bike and um <clears throat> what I, I concentrated on the one vespa the vespa small frame by the way uh through that year of 2018 because I wanted to get it all fixed up and ready for a show 
that was the number one show of that year for Vespas, which was called Vespa World Days. And they have it every year in a different country. And uh, lo and behold, that year, 2018, was to be in Belfast, you know. And I thought, this is yeah. brilliant. So I'm, I'm going home to show off this, unveil this, at the Vespa World Days, where people come from all over the world to go to this Vespa scooter rally. And it was in Belfast. It was at the Titanic Center, actually. And that was June 2018. So I packed everything in the van and uh, the scooter and the um, stalls and that and went home, went home to Armagh, spent a few days in Armagh and then went up to Belfast for the show and showed it off and showed it to all the boys from all the Vespa clubs from around Europe. You know, there was Italians and Hungarians and, ah, Americans had flew over, all over from all over, and they all they weren't sure what it was or what was going on, and and there was a bit skeptic, you know, a bit skeptical to begin with, weren't sure about this. But then, when I gave them a ride on it, you know, in the car park at the the rally, they drove it up and down, and they come back with a big grin on their face. They were they were flabbergasted that this thing, this old Vespa, was electric now, and they just turned the key. And twisted a throttle and away it went and it was fast as well you know so um really made a big impact there and uh that was the start of it there that that was the unveiling i unveiled it there and i unveiled it on the at the time that you've got all the scootering magazines international scootering magazines not that you might know them connor but there are in the scene all these magazines so they all yeah. told everybody about this in the scootering world that is these boys in London at retrospective scooters have just done this, you know, so that was the first of it. And at the time, I must say, I didn't know you, Connor, but I was in Armagh with the electric scooter and I had, um, I had it and I thought just before I unveil it at Belfast and the, the rest of them, I'm going to go down the street to see if anybody would be interested. So I walked in the Gazette and I said, look, I'm from the town. I'm just home, blah, 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 for the weekend. I'm doing this show and I've done this electric scooter. Would you be interested? I just want to say that I'm I'm doing it and, you know, tell you about it first. And uh, they sent me down the mall with a photographer. They took a photo of me down the mall on the, by the cannon there. And that was all right. Um, and uh, wrote a wee bit about me. Now from the town here has done this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he's doing a show in Belfast, and that was it. It was nice to, it was nice to just do it, uh, unveil it uh, yeah. first and foremost with with my hometown newspaper, if you like. And uh, we don't. And did you did you let any of the uh, any of the old gang have a go on it? Uh, Tom was with me. Tom um, come up to uh, uh, do a video for YouTube. On um, we went up to the cathedral, and I wanted a nice backdrop. So I went up to um, uh, the St. Paddy's Catholic Cathedral and done it just there, a wee video off the bike and me driving it, me showing how it works. And then I got on it and drove off and Tom done the video for me. And we released that on YouTube as well. And that's had a lot of hits, you know. That's the first ever video of yeah. it. And uh, Armagh's in the background, yeah. of course, you know. Sherry's Field and the other cathedral, you can see it all there. And that was the first video I'd done of it as well. So I was very, I was very proud and delighted that uh, all the unveiling of it was done in Armagh first and foremost. 
Yeah. And uh, obviously, had you really given it a thought about how some people would react, uh, the purists, if we should call them, perhaps? Oh, yeah, no, look, um, I did a lot of shows after that, and you would get people, purists, as you call yeah, right, you're the very word, uh, purists would say, is that a real Vespa that you've done that to? I'd say, well, yeah, that's a 1976 uh, Primavera. And they go, oh, that's a shame doing that to that. <laughs> and I'd go, well, why? And they go, well, you know, that's ruined it, hasn't it? I said, no, it's reversible. All of this can be reverted back to the old engine. So this electric engine I put in it just fits in the same mountain brackets as the, the engine that I took out. So if you want, you can put the old engine back in. I haven't cut it or, or welded or done any damage to it at all. All I've done is took the old engine out and I bolted this electric one in. Obviously, I put uh, a new loom through it, but sure, no big deal. And uh, added a battery instead of the, and took the petrol tank out. But any of the bikes that I've done, uh, the, the old the old engine's just, I give it back to the customer. He can keep it in his shed or wherever, and if he wants to, when he sells it or whatever in the future, put it back in. They can do that. A lot of people don't realize that, that the, the, the conversion yeah. that we do did not interfere in any way with the original settings of the old scooters. They are still the old scooter that they were, and they still are able to be reversed, and everything is as it was. And it looks the same and everything. A lot of people just yeah. don't get that. But, you know, you can only shared about it so much whoever's listening uh, no it's just uh, I suppose a fear a fear of change really. oh yeah that too and then a lot of them would say no I'm not doing that I'm a, you know they're a, they're a petrol head I'm never going to do that well that's fair enough whatever you want you know but sure when they get older and their old knees can't kick start it anymore or their wrist, arthritic wrist can't change the gear on the old bike anymore then they might turn around and get it but you know that's it until that day but it's going that way with cars, and I'm sure that, you know, it's only going to go the same way with the scooters as well. Mm. The other thing about this is uh, until you really get a, a go on one, you don't know, you, you, you don't think about it so much, is it's unbelievably easy to ride one of these now. Whereas before, you had to go up to it and and, and, and put the choke on, and then you have to kickstart it and kick it, and, kick, and it mightn't start for you, and you might flood it. And then uh, plumes of smoke and all the noise, and then you have to get on it, and then you're pulling in a clutch and twisting the gears to get it in gear, and then you're up and driving, and it's all that changing gear and revving. And, and that there, honestly, that there some people just can't do, and they never got a scooter because it was all just too much, and they were afraid of breaking down, and they can't start it, and they'd be embarrassed if they couldn't start it and all that. So... All that is out the window now. With this electric conversion, you walk up to it and you turn a key. In fact, you don't even have to turn a key. It's on a key fob. You press a button and the bike comes live. The lights come on. And you sit on it and you twist the throttle and you're moving. And that's it. It's like a big toy. Honestly, anybody could drive one now. Yeah, yeah, because that was the other was was some of the big fears were also probably around how much distance you can cover, or how long the the scooter can last for. But as 
you were saying before, you know, there it can be. It's based, you know, it's built to be able to be charged from your home. Oh yeah, the the, the other stipulation is that the the battery is removable, and uh, it's only this, it's the size of a shoebox, you know, and and you can take it out of the bike, bring it into your house, plug it into a normal socket, and charge it up uh, in your home. Or you can leave it in the bike if you've got a garage. If you're lucky to have a garage, drive into the garage and leave it in the bike and just plug straight into it while it's in the bike and charge it up. But either way, it's easy to charge. And the thing about um, any electric vehicle, well, especially the scooters and that, is uh, the keys to uh, to owning one is, is, is charge as you go. So, so wherever you're going, I mean, let's not forget these scooters were only made to go around and about the area that you live in, you know, you're not going to, you know, cross, like I used to do, cross India or go to Scotland and one and back. You're not heading out the door every day to do a, a mammoth journey on one. You're going to work. You're going down the town. You're going around about and back again. You're never going more than 5, 10, 15, 20 miles, really. And then you get to wherever you're going, where it be work or a friend's house, wherever. And what do you do when you get there? You take the battery indoors and charge it, or you just plug in and charge it, or you return home and your home's back, and you've only done 15 mile or 20 mile, and you're back home again, and you're charging up again overnight, you know, and that's it. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when I left you off, you were doing quite well, and sales were doing quite well when we were speaking last year. So how has how's it kind of gone since... COVID and the pandemic, how have how has the business found it? Uh, well, from from COVID started way last year in March. Uh, we're we're very lucky in that um, we're one of those companies that that's the opposite's happened to us. We've got busier because uh, being a garage, we're allowed to stay open because people obviously they need their transport to get around, and uh, there's a lot of um, key workers were on scooters to get to work, and they that's the reason we're obviously allowed to stay open, uh, keep them on the move. Uh, during the, the harder times of the lockdowns, we would uh, do free pickup and delivery for them. And anybody that needed service work and maintenance work, we would go out and pick them up, bring the bikes in, service them, do the repairs, bring it back to them and give it to them so that they could keep on going to work on it, you know, and, and getting around on it. And uh, we never stopped. Uh, we were very busy the whole time. And during that time, when you had nothing else to do but work, and there was plenty of work to do, I really, I really um, devoted myself to this project, and I refined it more, and I, 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 I made it, I improved it, upgraded it, and um, one of the main things I wanted to do with it was to make it um, a kit that anybody put in their own scooter themselves. I wanted to make it a very easy installation DIY kit. So uh, because we were going to be selling it around the world, I mean, initially I thought I'd be just doing it at my shop. Obviously, people bring me their bikes or they wanted a bike done to convert, convert it to electric. I would do it at the shop, but it turned out, and the way it is now, is it is a kit. You can buy it, you can have it sent to you, and you can put it in your own bike yourself. And it really is easy. And the whole year I've just spent was to refine it, to make it easier and easier for people to do it themselves. It really is. For the novice mechanic, now I'm talking about somebody that does have a wee bit of a, 
a turn and a spanner and a bit of a you know an idea of doing it um but it is it is it is really easy i'd say that of course but it is easy for somebody who's just a novice mechanic um to do yeah. or, or a shop and that that's a shop could do it easy yeah. enough and i suppose that that doing that also as you said that kind of opens you up to a bigger audience as well well yeah this is it I thought I'd be selling more to the Europeans, you know, Germans and Italians and Spanish. But it turns out um, they've got far too much bureaucracy to, to allow them to have this. They're not allowed to, they've, they've got too many uh, government MOTs and laws and huge fees uh, that really just put them off. It just, the, the, the German lads are interested, Italian lads are interested. But they're all asking me, are we allowed this? And I said, I don't know. You need to sort that out yourselves. And, and they go away to their, their local German, local DVLA office. Oh, we want to put this over to electric. Is that all right? Oh, no, you can't do that. You have to go here and do this and fill out these forms and bring it down here. And these boys are going to check it. And then that that's not, you know, good. And I mean, the, the kit is safe. Uh, it's reliable. It's safe. It's strong. Uh, it's proven to be that, but um, the way they're set up, uh, they're giving these people such a hard time. And high fees in Spain. One of the lads was being asked to pay over a thousand or two thousand euros to get this inspection done for it, um, which is ridiculous, really. And um, here we just have to send off uh, the logbook, and I write a letter to say, look, this has been changed over to electric from petrol and I just tick the box and the DVLA sent it back saying, yep, that's all right. There you go. It's now electric. And that's it. Yeah. Same in America, same in Australia. Yeah. Um, we're selling a lot to America, Australia. Um, Sweden's been okay. Uh, lots of places, uh, mainly America. They, they, they're quite yeah. easy going as well. And they're all doing it over there. Yes. And so, is, is it are scooters a big thing over in America then? Well, as well. Yeah, no. Look, I, as I said, everywhere got scooters. You know, it, there's there are Vespas in every Vespas and Lambrettas in every corner of this planet. Uh, Jamaica, uh, Peru, they made them in Colombia. Um, you know, Indonesia and Southeast Asia is just a wash with Vespas and Lambrettas, especially in the '60s in Vietnam, um, Malaysia. You know, Australia, America, mm -hmm. they all had it. They all had uh, loads of Vespas. And uh, America, yeah, I know it's a big country and they usually have the big cars. But, no, they, they a lot of cities in California, New York, uh, Atlanta, they're all over. They, they, they had lots of Vespas there as well and Lombardis. Yeah, yeah. And so is there any other big plans next? Is, is there anything in the pipeline or anything that you really kind of want to do now that you've refined that down moving forward? Well, I have refined it. I've got the kit refined where I've got all five models of Vespa and Lambretta down to a T. The kits are there. I sell the kits. I send them out. I've got more fellas working for me now putting these kits together. And uh, if anything, like little things like they're now uh, keyless, you know, and now we have, we wait for technology. The good thing about the kit is as technology progresses, 
you know, the battery boxes that we made that fits in our, our scooters. Inside, the batteries can be changed over to whatever comes next. You know, if they make a better quality battery, they make a faster charging battery or a, a battery with more range, then we just open up our battery boxes and change the internals for the new part that they find. Yeah. Um, everything's set up already, you know, for electric power. Yeah. So we're just waiting for whatever comes along next. I mean, we've improved little bits and things. Um, faster charging, keyless, and easier installation of the kit. That's what I've been working on lately. So that's all improved. And if, if I could mention something else, I am having a little bit more fun with, um, for instance, it's not just Vespa and Lambretta that was around in the 50s and the 60s. There was um, lots and lots of other manufacturers of scooters back then. Triumph, Harley-Davidson, Capri, BSA, NSU, Henkel, Everybody had a go at making a scooter back in the 50s and the 60s. All these old scooters now, they were they were rendered like useless because you can't get parts for them now. They're no good and not, you know, they're too old or slow and you can't get the parts. But now, now with this kit, now I can put this um, conversion kit in any of those old scooters. I mean, I, I, I have to redesign a little swinging arm for it. But the concept of what I've made is, is able to fit in any of those bikes. So I'll get an old... Like I've done um, an old NSU Prima from 1959. I've got it in. I took the old motor out. I couldn't get parts for it. I designed the swinging arm. I made it. I put that in with the new electric motor. I hooked up some batteries. I made some battery trays. Very easy to do. And off it goes again. I mean, it hasn't been on the road since 1964. And there it is running around London again after uh, all those years. You know, and it's being used as an everyday bike yeah. to get a fella to work. No, because that, that's the thing as well, bring it, bringing those bikes back to life. But did you ever, ever, as you said, you know, you kind of had this bit of an idea about doing it, but did you ever think you would go ahead and you would be doing this now, even five or ten years ago? No, uh, 2017, what's that, four years ago. I mean, from the from that day until, you know, my my, my buddy John walked into the shop here and said, do you want to do this then? Until then, without him, I thought, no, I'll, you know, I really couldn't attempt it by myself. I do need um, John with me for this. So before that, no, I, I didn't see this coming, really. It would have been a nice thought, but um, it wasn't possible without John. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, uh, you know, we're, we're coming to the end anyway, I think, but I just kind of wanted to speak to yourself and ask is, is there any plans to get back to Armagh then once everything is uh, back and back to some kind of normality uh, back to see friends and family then well yeah it was this time last year Connor I think when just after we spoke I was saying to you uh, I was going to be home for St Paddy's Day on the 17th of March yeah. and you know what happened three days after that four days after that I didn't get home um, yeah no look um I'm trying to get home now. The, the 12th of April is looming. And after that, I think I'll try and get home to Armagh for, I think, end of April, May sometime at least. Um, and it'd be great just to see everybody again, friends, family. Obviously, my mum's back there, my brothers and all the, all the boys and that. So um, really looking forward yeah. to that. Absolutely.
Have you been doing many uh, Zoom calls or anything like yes, that? Yes, Zoom's been great, hasn't it? Um, for family, uh, Christmas and Easter and birthdays and even just to, to see each other and on the screen. And uh, my sister was doing quizzes, you know, you, you just have a family quiz. It's just a laugh. We're all sitting just at home relaxing. You may have a drink and a laugh and see nieces and nephews as well. You know, it's nice to see them on the screen yeah. um, but that's been good for everyone I'm sure it's the same thing seeing their relatives on yeah. Zoom no no look Niall I, I think I think that's I think we've pretty much hit every point but I, I, I just wanted to thank you again for, for taking a bit of time out to chat to me thank you for the opportunity um, Connor um, uh, that's, that's no bother it's um I love Armagh. I miss it. I know I don't live there anymore. I've um, moved on. I've got a wife and that. That's we're over here now, and uh, but I'll always go home and I always will. My family home's still there, and all the, the extended family still there as well. So my heart's still home in old Ireland, as they say. Yeah, 